بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا Welcome everybody to the Safina Saadi Nothing But Facts live stream on another scorcher, an absolute utter scorcher, folks. Hmm? Double scorcher today. Like, not all, when, when, New, when New Jersey gets a scorcher, it is a nasty scorcher for the simple reason that, subhanAllah, um, simple reason that the humidity in the state of New Jersey is something else. When we, co- we continue on today to read from stories of the awliya. Okay. Qisas al-awliya. Okay. Qisas al-awliya. By the way, WhatsApp has an amazing feature. Okay. WhatsApp has an amazing feature. Did you guys know this? WhatsApp now, you can have votes. You can cast votes. Right? For meetings. You know that? Yeah. You can cast a vote for a meeting. Huh? Like, who? Uh, when can you have this phone, this meeting, phone call, blah, blah, blah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like that. First time I saw it today. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. The, st- the stories of the awliya from Risala al-Qushayriya in which we are almost finished and once we finish this book, which maybe we can finish it today, then next week we begin with this amazing book and read the stories of the awliya from this book. Contemporary. People of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look at this this amazing book which was given to us as a gift by okay Dr. Ajman gave it to Lakusina as a gift. Okay. Wahidu Zamanihi Lam Yusuf Kablahu Mithlahu Sahib Ibn al Katibi Wahhabib al Maghribi wa Aba Amr al Zujaji. One of his sayings, At-taqwa huya al-wuquf ala al-hududi la yaqsur fiha wa la yata'addaha. La yuqassir fiha. What is taqwa? Taqwa is to stop at the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And why is this so important? Simple reason is that it's easy to do ibadat. It's enjoyable to give charity. It's enjoyable to go to the masjid to pray. What's really hard is stopping your desires. That's the, the real hard part is, is to be able to control your desires and to stop them. That's the real hard part of the situation. All right? That's really hard. And all of the ibadah, the goal of the ibadah is to really give you enough sweetness that you don't need to, rel- to, to, to go to the haram. Enough sweetness of imam. What is taqwa? Someone is asking. Taqwa is to avoid something. Okay? To try to avoid something. All right? And this book that we're reading from is called Al-Risal Al-Qushayriya. Risala's Epistle. You can even get a PDF in English. I'm not a, a fan of getting PDFs, but it's a very old translation that's out of print. So you can get the PDF of it in English online. Okay? 
نكست وقال من آثر من آثر سحبة الأغنياء على مجالسة الفقراء ابتلاه الله تعالى بموت القلب. If you consistently choose the dunya over the deen, and you choose to sit with the millionaires and the people who love purses and the people who love who go to concerts and the people who love all this nonsense and the people who just want to buy cars and watches. If I'm sitting with a group of guys. The moment the discussion gets into that, more than three minutes, I'm out. Okay. Hey, I'm going to, we're going to go play golf. And then we're going to, you know, look at this watch I got for $25,000. And don't think that they don't do it because it's an investment. You can sell those watches. Luxury cars, luxury watches don't lose value. They, they increase in value. It's actually percentage-wise, just percentage-wise, it's financially more beneficial to buy, to, to have a luxury car, I mean a supercar, I mean like, not even a supercar, a Porsche, for example, than to have any other car, like uh, a regular Mercedes or something. You got a Mercedes, it, the value goes down. But when you get these like elite cars, the value always goes up. You literally never lose your money. You never lose value. The only problem is you can't really take your family around in these cars. Like if a guy gets a Porsche once, okay, he's going to the dealership. He gets a Porsche. He's he, that Porsche does not lose value; it actually increases in value. That's why to get those supercars, I don't know. Does Porsche count as a supercar, Omar? It's not up there with the McLarens and Lamborghinis, right? It's, so it's it's in the maybe middle or bottom of the supercar world, right? Like McLaren, Lamborghini. That's Bugatti's those are at another level but the thing is they, they never lose value so but any event when I'm sitting with a bunch of guys and I know this about sisters too when they're sitting around and the discussion goes to you know dunya buying it up and competing and if that th- you want me to move the mic if, if, if that discussion continues that more than two sides I'm out but the beauty of it is that um the beauty of it is that when you talk about the dean like myself for a living, for life, that's what you do, people usually mute it. You know that I'm the worst per an imam is the worst person, all right, is the worst person to 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 ask as a reference. Everyone's on their best behavior in front of the imams of the masajid. So that's why I said, Oh, do you marry this person? Yeah, I asked the imam. The imam said he's one of the best brothers. Of course, everyone who comes to the masjid is literally on their best behavior at that moment, not just to impress people, but the setting, it implies that, right? The setting of the masjid puts you in a mode of tawbah. It puts you in a mode of, you know, it's not becoming to talk about bad things or to say things that are unbecoming, right? It's not becoming. So amazingly, you know, Imams, they tend to be, to always give good, uh, uh, you know, testimony for, for guys. And it turns out to be bad, right? It turns out to be wrong. But the imam's actually not guilty of that because in front of him, people are on their best behavior. So that's where um, you look at suhbah. Do not choose the suhbah. When, as soon as people go into that, I'm gone. Okay. Newsflash, our own man Ryan just spoke 
at the Mawlid of Habib Omar on Thursday. Okay? Say again. We need to see this. Okay? Omar's going to look it up. Try Mawasala's... Or try his, his Instagram, Habib Omar's Instagram. It doesn't say here, whoever becomes rich, his heart dies. No, whoever prefers consistently to sit with them over the fuqara. The fuqara meaning the pious. We need the, the, the rich of the ummah, the wealthy of the ummah, have an, their own way of being wealthy their own standards. Like when you go hang out with rich guys, they all, well, we're broadcasting it. Uh, Ryan's speech, put it up. Clip it. All right, screen grab, translate, put it up. Okay, now listen up. Um, the rich of every culture, they have their ways. They have the people they sit with and the people they don't sit with. Okay. They have their ways. There are certain clothes they would never get, certain cars they would never get. All right? We, we don't operate like that. We have another way of operating. And that's extremely important to actually start codifying that. Right? What is a Muslim millionaire supposed to act like? That is going to actually increase his wealth, bless his wealth, and bless him. Okay? And that should involve... A discussion of our identity. Do you identify as a millionaire or do you identify as a mu'min, a muttaqi, a muhib, all that, who happens to be a millionaire? And that's why I like, there are a couple millionaires that I actually look up to as, honestly, I think they're awliya. And the reason is what they could be doing with all their wealth and what they actually don't. Like what they, the way they could be living. And then the way they actually live. Okay? It's amazing. Some of these, you would you see them in the masjid, you would never, ever once imagine. Now you go to their house, it's a different story. But the amount, the amount of sadaqah that they give, the schools, the darulums that they have put together. I'm not going to say their names here, or, or their schools, because you'll know who they are, because they may want to be makhfi. Before we go to Muhammad and Maghribi, let's go to see our man Ryan at the Mawlid. Uh, you pulled it up. He's just going to shrink that up and, and, and resize it. Okay. All right, let's see. to be in English, so we'll put the volume up so we can hear the speech in English. Oh, there's someone speaking over him. Let's see our man. This is Dara Mustafa in Yemen. Tadim Yemen. Alhamdulillah. 
And that's our man, Ryan. we thank Allah Ta'ala for gathering us for his remembrance once again. Nahmadul Mawla subhanahu wa ta'ala ala anjama'ana ala dhikrihi marratan ukhra. Because not a single person attends a gathering like this except through Allah's permission and his grace. Lannu la yahdur minna majlisan mithla hadhal majlis illa bi'idhni Allahi Ta'ala wa fadlih. Out of all the places that we could have been, Allah has chosen this maqam for us. من كل الأماكن التي كنا نستطيع أن نحضر فيها اختار المولى جل في علاه لنا هذا المقام الحمد لله I was born in America in a time where Muslims were looked down upon and even sometimes feared ولدت في أمريكا في مرحلة كانت النظرة العامة للمسلمين نظرة ازدراء بل كان يخاف منهم أحيانا and the only exposure that I had to Islam was what I was seeing in the media ولم يكن لي تعرض لأحد من المسلمين سوى ما كنت أراه في الإعلام. I was born Catholic and my family and I would go to church every Sunday. Although we weren't religious whatsoever, we did it anyways. ولدت كاثوليكيا وكنت أذهب مع أسرتي إلى الكنيسة كل يوم أحد على الرغم أننا لم نكن لنا صلة بالتدين لكن كنا نذهب. Eventually, I left the church and I met a friend. We would speak much about spiritual matters like death, the soul, and the purpose of life. However, after some time, I rebelled, and I began to take a very different path. I met new friends and I started Salim's religion. SubhanAllah. It was only after my close friends wronged me that I started to seek the truth again. غدر هؤلاء الأصدقاء بي وظلمهم إياي أني بدأت مرة أخرى أن أبحث عن الحقيقة. And after this time, I began to spend a lot of time in solitude in nature. بدأت أن أقضي الساعات الطويلة في خلوة في الطبيعة. I would think and ponder a lot about how to find inner peace. كنت أتأمل وأتفكر كثيرا عن كيفية إيجاد الطمأنينة والسكون الباطني. And throughout this period of time, everything began to be a sign that was around me. And I knew some Muslims, although they weren't very religious, some of them may have even been doing wrong, they all seemed to be firmly grounded in something in what they believed in. رسوخ في إيمانهم وتصديقهم. 
we would discuss and argue issues of life purpose, and this eventually led me to picking up a translated copy of the Quran. كنا نتحدث معهم عن أسباب إيجادنا في هذه الحياة وأدى بنا هذا إلى أن اقتنينا نسخة من مصحف مترجم. And immediately when I opened up the Quran, I saw this verse. وعندما فتحت كتاب الله تعالى وقعت عيني على هذه الآية. ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه دل المتقين الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون. And then I read a verse in Surah Yunus. ثم قرأت آية أخرى في سورة يونس. هو الذي يسيركم في البر والبحر حتى إذا كنتم في الفلك وجرنا بهم بريح طيبة وفرحوا بها جاءت هاريه عاصف وجاءهم الموج من كل مكان وظنوا أنهم أحيط بهم دعوا الله مخلصين له الدين لئن أنجتنا لئن أنجتنا من هذه لنكونن من الشاكرين فلما أنجاهم إذا هم يبغون في الأرض بغير الحق يا أيها الناس إنما بغيكم على أنفسكم متاع الحياة الدنيا ثم إلينا مرجعكم فننبئكم بما كنتم تعملون. And then after I saw this ayah, I briefly read about Islam, the pillars of Islam. I read some sirah, and I read about the guidance that we have from the Sharia. بعد أن قرأت هذه الآية العظيمة. بدأت أن أقرأ شيء عن الإسلام واليسير من سيرة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأركان الإسلام وبعض الأحكام المطهرة. And I love reading about the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when he was in Ghahira because I personally resonated this as I would spend time pondering on a mountain in seclusion myself. وكنت أحب أن أقرأ عن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله صحبه وسلم وهو يتعبد المولى تعالى في غار حراء سبب ذلك أني كنت أختلي عن الناس في جبل كان قريب من بيتي وكنت أتأمل وأتفكر At this point I realized that Islam was the absolute truth and I immediately took my shahada after that حينئذ عرفت أن الإسلام هو الحق المطلق وشهادة الحق عندها I found that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was completely aligned with the haq. Everything about him was directing towards the haq. And because it was because he was supported by the haq. وجدت أن النبي الأعظم صلى الله عليه وسلم كان في جميع أحواله يدعو إلى الحق وفي جميع أحواله منقاد إلى الحق لأنه كان مؤيدا من الحق جل في علاه. Alhamdulillah, here in this maqam we've been blessed with the presence of his inheritors. والحمد لله في هذا المقام قد من المولى تعالى علينا بأن يحضر وراثه صلى الله عليه وسلم. And like the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, everything that they want for us is for us to find Allah تعالى. ومثل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يريدهم منا إلا أن نصل ونجد المولى سبحانه جل في علاه. اللهم أكبر شيخنا ونصرهم. آمين. وجعلنا مخلصين لوجهك الكريم. Finished? SubhanAllah Allahu Akbar. There you have it, folks. And there are now Habib Omar speaking. So there you have it. And that's what, inshallah, is our goal, is to graduate some shabab, to go off and study with the real mountains and to take from them. And we have a Sanad al-Muttasil. And we're not something that 
you know, is uh, uh, separate from the ummah, right? We're not something that is cut off from our mirath, al-ilm al-turath, wal-mirath, wal-irth, al-nabawi. We're just a way station. You come in, wash each other down, learn the basics, okay, get strong, and then move on to the shiuch. And Ryan went to Tarim. Harun went to study with Sheikh Zuhair. Discovered Sheikh Zuhair by, by looking everywhere. Okay. Find until he found this young scholar who was really like a fruit from Sheikh Al Maghidi. Right? He's one of the fruits of Sheikh Al Maghidi. And then Harun sat with Sheikh Al Maghidi himself. Adi studies at the Qarawiyin as Zaytuna. Um, oh, sorry, uh, Qairawan. Is it Qairawan? Different people studying. Uh, we're a continuation. It's like taqdim, muqaddim. Muqaddim, muqaddim, to introduce you. This is the world. There's a new world out there. Okay? There's a new world out there. It's, uh, I mean, there's, there, there, there's a world out there that we don't know about. And that's the world of ilm and ulama and mountains. And then the best we could do is take people off the streets, you know, Muslim, regular good Muslim, and then listen, there's something else you got to know out there. And you t- just do that and you go. And then maybe if 5% of those people come back, 10% come back, then they could help expand the project. Muhammad al-Maghribi, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, what does he say here? He lived 120 years about. Can Ajiba shut? He only, he didn't eat. He lived 120 years. Why some people say that he lived that long and had barakah in his food. Why did he have barakah in his food? He refused to eat what humans touched because he didn't want any type of sinfulness to come into his food. So that ended up him eating only uh, uh, leaves and grasses and greens that he his stomach got used to. Okay. And what is the the most humiliated people is a poor man who who humiliates himself for a rich person. Okay. And the greatest of people. Okay. In honor, is a rich man who humbles himself for the poor. How does he humble himself to the poor? He never makes sure, he makes sure never to embarrass them, never to make them feel bad about their life, okay? That is the best of people, okay? Again, notice, there is never in Islam a really like a praise or a blame of wealth. We're not socialists nor capitalists. Neither is there a praise for wealth nor a blame for wealth. Neither is a praise of poverty nor a blame of poverty. It's how you act with it. Okay. Amr al-Makki. Qala kullu ma tukhayyiluhu qalbuka aw sanuha fi majari fikratika sanuha fi majari fikratika aw khatara fi muaradati qalbika min husnin aw bahain aw unsin aw jamalin aw diya aw shabhin aw nurin Everybody who is 
Um, any thought you get about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, good or otherwise, that has a likeness of creation in it, Allah is far from that. Do not hear Allah says, We said this many times. This is like lesson number one in Ahl Sunnah. Okay? Lesson number one is that after to- the most important aqidah, after tawheed is tanzi. Okay? The most important aqidah after tawheed is tanzi. Jews, they worship one God, but he's, an, he's a man God. This complete anthropomorphic God who has stinginess. He has almost like emotional issues when you read their books about God. Unbelievable. Christians, yeah, they worship one God. They say within himself he's three, but he's one. So, okay, fine. But within it, within him, they lost a tawheed. Within it. They say it's one God, but three within. So that you lost it. Three essences of one, whatever you want to say. Okay, let's say, fine, you didn't understand. We just mean like, fine. But it's anthropomorphized. It's a God that takes a human form. Or a God that has a son. And you, they draw him, like his finger touching Adam. Anyone who has such a God will come to despise him. This is the fitra of the human being, to despise worshiping something that has the attributes of creation. Full stop. The fitra of human being despises it. The fitra of human being despises certain things that only belong for Allah. Do we not despise someone begging somebody else? Like when you see someone is always latched onto you, and not one time they begged you, fine, that's fine. Like one time someone is in a complete distraught state and they beg you for help, fine. But they're always begging now. And they keep going to other people to beg. Why do we despise it? Because that begging is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we are created to despise it. See, we're created the way we're created. Someone once said to me that they're confused. Do they think that they think now that people observed human nature and what benefits humans then fashioned religion according to it? No, I said no. I said no. The revelation of Allah Ta'ala is true. It is a revelation from Allah. And because Allah is also the creator of human beings, the observations about the creation will naturally be in the word of Allah. Imam al-Ghazali said, the waliullah will get so, will, 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 will observe so well the creation that he will make an observation, then find the ayah for it in the Qur'an. But he'll make the observation first. Why? Because the author is one and the same. Allah is the creator. Al-Barahin. Wahada. Right? The proof of this world. This is this world has a creator. Well, the Quran is the uh, a speaker is Allah. And the creator and the speaker are the same. So you're naturally going to find okay, these statements. You're naturally going to find this. And I think it was in the alchemy of happiness that he said that the insight of the pure-hearted person... And I would even go further. Any astute observer, Muslim or Kafir. And that's why all the self-help books, what are they based on? Observation. Very astute observations. Let's go to the Sunnah, you find it there. Why? Because what are they observing? The creation of the creator. And then what is the Sunnah? The education of the, of the creator. As the Prophet said, Ad-Dabni Rabbi Fahsana Ta'dibi. 
and in most cases, an astute education. Okay. All right. His astute an astute observation of nature will coincide with what the Quran and the Sunnah. Muslim or Kafir, who makes that? All right. So Tenzi, if you're new to this, write it down in the margin of whatever book you have in front of you. Tenzi. It is to remove from Allah all the attributes of a created being. There is a clear distinction between a creator and the created. The created beings are everything that has a limitation to it. Okay. Someone recently told me that how could we say it's impossible for Allah Ta'ala to um, take a physical form? Aren't we limiting the creator? No, we say because divine power is restricted, is connected only to what is rationally possible, is only connected to that which is not a contradiction. Because contradictions are not possible things. And Allah says, kulli shay'in qadir. He is po- capable over all things. Therefore, if something is contradictory, it's not a thing anymore. It's not a thing. Can, so, so there's no difference between a square circle and a limited God. Once you said square, it has four sides. Once you said circle, it has, no, it has just no angles at all. Square has to have four angles of equal sides. A circle has no angles at all. Okay? And no straight sides. You just said two opposite things. That's all you said. So it's not even a thing. So we don't ask if divine... This is the misuse of intellect. Secondly, a, a God that can enter into a form, well, forms are limited, and a God, by definition, is unlimited. Okay? God is infinite. A form is finite. So can a finite thing become infinite? That's what you're asking. Can something be finite and infinite simultaneously? Can 10 oranges be 7 oranges simultaneously? You're asking a nonsensical question. So the question of can it come into existence, right, is it's out of bounds. You misused your intellect. So don't ask if God can do this and that. Ask if it's something that's possible. Okay? Possible, we divine it in two ways. Possible within uh, uh, reasonably or by habit. And we mean here reasonably. What does it mean? Rationally or habitually? Rationally speaking, it's just anything that doesn't contradict itself. Can God create a pink elephant with green stripes? Yes. But do we see it habitually in the world? No. So habitually is what Allah has created that we see regularly. Adatan. Okay. Mumkin. So the, the, the mumkinat, the possible things of the world, we divide it in, in our theology into two categories. That which is possible rationally, the only condition it has, it's not self-contradictory. That's it. It's not a self-contradictory statement. Inconceivable statement. And the opposite now is habitually, adatan. Then let, let, can we look around in the world and look for a pink elephant with green stripes? No, because habitually it's not possible. It's not something that we ever see in the world. It's a futile thing. Okay. Knowledge is your guide. Fear is your driver. Okay? And the nafs is between the two. It is a, a trickery. The nafs is something that tricks you. The nafs is, nafs is something that has base desires. Be careful of this. Understand the nafs. 
Be wary of the nefs. Guard it. Guard it by knowledge. Okay? And feed it, water it. Okay? And you water it with fear and desire. Next is Abdullah ibn Manazil. He says, we're going to go straight to their sayings. لم يضيع أحد فريضة من الفرائض إلا ابتلاه الله تعالى بتضييع السنن. You don't leave off an obligation except the punishment of that is leaving off a sunnah. Okay. The best time that you can spend is a time in which you're safe from the tricks of the ego. And that's why suhbat al-fuqara is the best thing, right? To be around good people, the doors of the trickery of the nafs is closed. Okay? That's why to be around good people, to be around your family, that it would be like socially inappropriate for you to do something bad. That's good. The society is doing the work for me. Okay? If you leave off sunnah, Allah may test you by now loving innovation. Why? Because you took a step away from sunnah, a vote, Away from Sunnah is a vote for innovation. So you will eventually may fall into innovation. If you dis... It, 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 the punishment of every action is, is, is its like genre. If you disrespect another Muslim, you may get disrespected. And the way may, you may get disrespected is that you may fall into sins. So you disrespect yourself. You hate yourself. Okay. Talking about the Prophet wasallam, for example, in a maqam without adab. You may find yourself, um, you know, falling from the high station that you're trying to attain, all right, and debasing yourself. And if you did it privately, then you debase yourself privately. If you did it publicly, you debase yourself publicly. Al-jaza' min jins al-amal. The compensation of an action is from the genre or the species or the jins of the action itself. The consequence, of course, right? If I throw a ball at the wall, a bouncy ball, if I throw a bouncy ball at the wall, what's going to come back at me? A brick? A baseball? No, a bouncy ball, right? So if whatever you throw out there, it's going to mirror right back to you. Okay. Al-jaza' min jins al-amal. I love the story of Juha. In, in Persia, I think they call him Amir, I don't know what. Or I can't remember what they call him. But... Um, Juha was sniffing uh, meat across a guy grilling and selling meat. So Juha would go eat his bread, dip the bread in what he could afford, fat. All he could afford was fat, right? Dip it in fat, sniff the meat from the, the seller across the street, and eat to it, right? That's what he would do. He was so poor. So the guy said, stop. He said, why? I'm sitting across the street from you. You don't own the street. It's true. I'm not loitering in front of your store. I'm sitting across the street. Your smoke is coming to me. I'm too poor to buy your meat. I dip the bread in fat, put some salt on it, and eat it while sniffing the grilling of your meat. Nothing wrong with that. He said, no, no, no. You're you're stealing from me, basically. You're enjoying the efforts of my labor. So he said, come. Let's go to court. So the police took him to court. He sit in front of the, the judge. 
The judge says, what's your complaint? The man sniffs my meat. He said, what's the value of the meat that he sniffed? He said, couple, couple, couple silver coins. He said, okay, bring a couple silver coins. He said, oh, judge, come on. I didn't eat his food. It's in the public. He said, just bring me the silver coins. Take the silver coins. He said, oh, uh, to, the, to the plaintiff. He said, pay attention here. And he dropped the silver coins on the table, and they made noise. He said, did you hear the noise? He said, yes. He said, okay, that's what you get. <laughs> you don't get the money itself. You get the noise that the money made. Well, he didn't take the meat itself. He took the smell of the, mo- the, the, the meat, right? He took the, beautiful, the, the, the nice smell of the food. You take the sound of the money. How brilliant is that? We have a hurricane coming? Ooh, we got, let's, let's check the weather. Maybe that's what the, uh, ooh, maybe that's what all the humidity is for, from, and the heat. Adian, come sitteth. Badmal Qadin. Okay, next. I, I really like these. Let me repeat them again. Whoever leaves off the fara'id, he will eventually leave off the sunan. The sunan are the protection of the fara'id. And the fada'il are the protection of the sunan. Okay? You don't leave off sunan unless eventually, because something's got to fill the void, right? Innovations, you may start to fall in love with innovations. Okay? And there's no better time... Uh, there's no better time, there's no better moment than the time in which you are prepared, uh, you are guarded by your nafs, from your nafs. When you're sitting with the, your ashab, when you go to places like Medina, Mecca, Umrah, okay, you are um, pr- really protected from the hawajis of your nafs. And that's one of the scariest things. There is a problem if you are with these people and in those special places and your nafs is still acting up. So at that point, you really, you truly need help. Okay, we truly need help. Last one, he says, To have a bad opinion of the people. All right, to have a bad opinion of the people. Anytime that you could be protected from yourself thinking ill of the people. And that, what is the best way? We don't need to socially interact too much. We don't need to go online too much. We don't need to look at people. We don't need to think about people. And tasawwuf is something where, subhanAllah, um, it really focuses on al-ghina and al-khalq. Al-ghina and al-khalq. Ghina and al-khalq is so important. Ghina and al-khalq is a mental state. It's a spiritual state where I don't need to think about people. I don't need the people for my satisfaction. And that makes your, people say, oh, it leads to a cold person who has no friends. No, it doesn't. It leads to a person who has friends for the right reason, not for selfish reasons, right? Like if I'm your friend because you praise me, if I'm your friend because you take you go, we go out to eat and you you pay the bill, if I'm your friend because you give me you know some feeling about myself, that's a t- selfish type of friendship. As the moment that you can't do that, I turn against you. I don't need you anymore, right? And I become angry. So that's not a friendship. That's a sponge. Someone soaking for himself. The friendship. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is because I'm going to do what I'm doing because Allah is going to be pleased by that. How you react to it is indifferent to me. I'm not emotionally needy on you. The emotional neediness is not friendship. People confuse the two. Many times parents, 
they, they may, for some reason, their life seems incomplete to themselves. They have a kid and the emotional neediness, they take it from their kids now. That kid's going to be miserable when he grows up because the moment he wants to be independent, his independence equates to your suffering. So you're going to try to resist him being independent now. So the love that we should have, the pure and true love, is separated from emotional neediness. It doesn't mean I don't have feelings for the person, but it's not an emotional neediness. Okay. Where'd you get that though, mashallah? A gift from where? Finally, Elian comes with a thobe. He's got a collar. He's got no funny business around. That's the type of thobe. If the moment, the day I find that type of thobe, I'm by 10. MashaAllah. So I don't give hasid to your thobe. <laughs> Next one, Ismail ibn Najid. Qala, kullu halan yakunu an natijati ilmin. Okay. Okay, because inna has to do nasb uh, to the ism inna. فَإِنَّ ضَرَرَهُ عَلَى صَاحِبِهِ أَكْثَرَ مِنْ نَفْعِهِ Okay. كُلُّ حَالٍ لَا يَكُونُ عَنْ نَتِيجَةِ عِلْمٍ That's a very important letter there. كُلُّ حَالٍ لَا يَكُونُ Every state, spiritual state that comes upon a person, every mukashafa, every vision, every spiritual thing that happens to a person, spiritual opening, spiritual experience, that is not a result of knowledge, nor do the people of knowledge give you an understanding and an interpretation for it. It is harmful. As we have said before, this is extremely important on the understanding of spirituality in Islam. Not all spirituality is good. Spirituality is of three things. The, spirit, the, the world of light, the world of darkness, and the world of the dunya. There is a spirituality of the dunya. Okay? If any person goes and does a neutral meditation, neither does he meditate upon Allah, nor does he meditate upon some kind of shaitan. He just thinks about nature and he sits in nature. No deen there, right? So what is he going to... What is he going to take? He's going to take of the, 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 the wisdoms, the lights and the openings that are of this dunya. What can he benefit? He can get genuine benefit of only matters of hayat ad dunya. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, dunya, They know the outward of this world. That includes in it a type of dunyawi spirituality. And they will, you can see a traces of that benefit in them. So they may be a bit calm or they may have some wisdoms of life, how to live life. But what are they? What does it not supply them? It doesn't supply them with the eternal haqq, true explanations about the, the nature of the nafs, of the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, they won't get anything from that. So we could say about that, it's halal. It's halal. When does it become almost for us, our shiuch may just dismiss and flick that stuff away. Because once you, if someone say, hey, listen, guys, we, we don't got any food, but I do have Slim Jims. Oh, man, that's great. If you're starving in a desert and someone brings you Slim Jim, that's ah, amazing, right? So is it halal or haram to eat that? Yeah, fine, let's eat it. It's not khanzir, it's halal food, right? Until somebody comes upon a steakhouse and says, hey, guys, I got steaks. Now, for somebody now to prefer the Slim Jim, that is halal over the steak, 
we say that that is foolishness, right? So the shiuch, our shiuch, who are living in the world of Qur'an and Awrad and Sunan, and now you come and bring them, you know, Tom Jones is, a, you know, spiritual meditation in nature. Let's say the student says, it's all halal, nothing haram about it. He says, okay, but what am I going to do? This two rakas of tahajjud can cover in tw- what you're going to get there in 20 years, right? So it becomes a matter of uh, humq, stupidity. Okay. So that's so we didn't say it's, that stuff is haram, but it's just uh, a waste, waste of time. When I can when I can take a highway, and you can walk, you say, "Hey, can we take a bike?" Yes, you could take a bike, but why would you take a bike if you have a car? It doesn't make any sense. It in fact is a waste. It's wastefulness. So spirituality here, he's saying it must be judged by knowledge and guided by knowledge, because shara'i knowledge. Because there is a spirituality of the dark side too. Shaitan can try to mislead people, not just by the dunya and by desires. Shaitan misleads people through spirituality. So do you think that the Hindu, um, whatever they're called, are, are misguided by the dunya? They're not. The Hindu, um, what do they call these guys? Whatever they're called. The priests. The yogis. The yogis are not making stuff up. They are having spiritual experiences. This is the easiest explanation. You're not going to have a continent full of people all over the continent. They're having these experiences and they gather together to a lie. The, 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 the truth is usually the simplest explanation. And the piece of information people are not aware of is that there is a dark spirituality that you can tap into by constantly focusing on Things probably they're shayateen al jinn. Does not Allah say in the Quran, give us an explanation? Allah tells us the whole explanation of Hinduism right there. They used to worship jinn. Every spiritual experience that these yogis have, either the, the most innocent of it is it's a natural worldly spirituality. That's the most innocent. And anything that is truly khariq ada, and they do have khawariq adat, right? They do break the norms and what people would call miracles. It's the action of the jinn helping them. Okay? Allah says it very clearly. But can we abudun al-jinn? All these medicine men, you go to any culture from the ancient times, pre-modern cultures, animistic and paganistic cultures, they got medicine men. The medicine man, why, do, why does everyone hold him sacred? He has no money. But he's tapped into dark spirituality and he knows how to say stuff and move stuff, and do all sorts of tricks. That's from the jinn. Okay. No doubt about that. Okay. So that's why any spiritual experience has to be on the tracks of al-ilm wa shara. And then once it is, once it is, then you can, ta- you can have yaqeen in it. We are allowed to have yaqeen in it. Such that if a, if a uh, person was to have a, a true dream, and what's the level of yaqeen? You can even, like, the king had a dream, right? Prophet Yusuf, alayhi salam, interpreted that dream. It's yaqeen, right? And he acted upon it. However, we cannot act upon it outside sharia and urf, right? There's sharia and there's urf too. Commonsensical, acceptable behavior in our community. Like what, for example? Let's say somebody has 
a true dream that one day he's going to marry so-and-so. All right. Firstly, you have to bind your behavior by the sharia. Number two, you have to bind yourself by urf. What's an exit? You don't go to that person and say, we're going to get married. Okay. I had a dream. We're going to get married. Right. At this point, you've, 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 you've disrespected something Allah has given you by not managing it by urf. Allah can take it away. Simple as that. Nothing's permanent for you. Right. Secondly, you have to act by the urf. What is the urf by which people marry? What is the urf by which people talk about their spirituality too? Like in Mauritania, they don't like to keep it private. You're going to make people crazy. Secondly, there's another reason, epistemological reason. It may be yaqeen to you. It's dhanni to me, right? And for a complete stranger, it's less than that. It's just hearsay. Well, a regular Muslim walked in and told me he had a dream. It means nothing to me. I don't know you. Now let's say I trust you. I trust you, but you're liable to make mistakes because we're not masum. So I believe you, but it's at the level of dhan. Because you can, just like you can misread a fatwa in a book, you can misread a dream. You can misinterpret a line of text from a book, from Quran or Hadith or Ilm. You could also misinterpret a dream. So it becomes dhanni. Let's say a dream interpreter told, told you the truth. Yes, it can be yaqeen to you, but you still have to behave bil Take a seat. Fictional Frontiers is in the house. Adian is in the house. Uh, you guys know... Um, you guys know um, uh, Elian from Dallas, but he's now here. Dallas poached him. He's always poaching our guys. We're going to reverse it, by the way. We're going to reverse it. Yeah. We're, we're poaching. Uh, they're, they, they, they poached our families for years. They poached New Jersey families. And now I don't know what's going on. I think it's just uh, the, the, it's not exactly practical anymore. The prices went up. Right, and it's starting to get saturated. Okay. On top of that, there's a lot of drama in Texas. Shaitan was working hard. It's not the Muslims aren't bad. The Muslims are good. Shaitan is the enemy. That's the only answer. Why is there so much fitna between Muslims? Because Shaitan is an enemy, and not everybody can um, can face the enemy. And every day, who mingles with the people. Or masjid that tries to build a housing complex around it. All of these people are falling the category of the people that the Prophet ﷺ said he deals with the people and and has sabr with the fitna. This is fitna. This imam hates this imam. This imam exposed this imam. This imam has a war against this imam. And there is stuff within the masjid too. A guy comes and opens a masjid. Doctor comes opens a masjid with uh, housing units and it's amazing khidma for the ummah then all of a sudden another person comes and tries to nab it away from him and plays politics and gets him out of the picture that's fitna for him we may not hear about it as fitna those people who are trying to correct the society and suffering the fitna okay even if they make some mistakes they're better than the one who secludes himself and stays pure right that's what the prophet himself said because if everybody takes the route of the one who stays away from the fitna, think about it like this. The ruling is based on if everyone does it. Yes, as an isolated case, you are safer, you're happier, okay, than the one who is exposed to the people and in drama. As an individual, but as a principle, we have to ask the question, what if everybody behaves like that? 
then no good people would do anything. Everyone would say, I don't want to get my clothes dirty. I don't want to get my heart dirty. I don't want to get, get involved in drama. I don't want any waste of my time from reciting Quran and reciting Awrad. Okay. We all do that now. Well, guess what? Shayateen are not saying the same thing. Shayateen are going to fill the arena. Okay? They're going to fill the arena. So we have to realize that even though those, those imams were looking and saying, what is happening in Texas... Right, but those still better than inaction. All those people who founded those masajid and founded those schools and and those housing complexes around the masajid are superior in the sight of Allah than inaction. Someone who said, "No, no I'm just gonna take myself. I'll worship Allah here." And many people say this whenever they see their friend in fitna, they say, "Alhamdulillah, we stayed safe. We stayed out of it all." Right, and they pat themselves on the back. That that's not correct. That's not right. That's not right. The one who, who struggled to try to do something good then found himself in some drama and fitna, even if he has mistakes in it. Proof being that the, the party of Sayyidina Ali is the correct party when the fitna happened. Do you, they didn't have mistakes. They had terrible mistakes. They took Abdurrahman ibn Muljam, the one who killed Sayyidina Ali, and they committed heinous sins against him. That's what fitna does. It messes people up, but they're the correct party. All, all of them... As a total, the group of Sayyidina Ali, they're the correct party. They're the Sahaba of Sayyidina Ali, okay? And the followers of Sayyidina Ali. They have all of that reward. Yet still, the fitna was so intense that they couldn't discipline themselves from taking this Kharijite and torturing him. And they tortured him with the worst of torture, okay? After he killed Sayyidina Ali. And even though Allah himself, the Prophet himself said, this is the most wretched person on the earth, is the ones who killed the camel at the time of Salih and the ones who killed Sayyidina Ali. The Prophet has a hadith on this, right? This is a wretched person. Like if you are such a person that you're in the ummah of Muhammad wasallam, and your heart is so dark and your mind is so dense that you don't realize the maqam of Ali ibn Abi Salib, that can only come about by evil. That can only come about by wretchedness and evil. Like you cannot possibly be that dense to not know the maqam of Ali ibn Abi Talib. It only comes that your heart is so covered with arrogance and a twisted arrogance. An arrogance that is adorned by piety. And that's why the Kharijites are from the most dangerous of people. Because they cover their arrogance with piety. Prophet Sallallahu said the Kharijites will have the coarse knees and coarse hands from sujood which means that they don't make sujood on rugs or mats or straw mats or leather or anything. They make sujood out of piety right on the dirt. And they don't remove the pebbles from their foreheads. They keep making sujood on it until they have marks here, marks here, marks everywhere. They shorten their thaw beyond even what the Prophet ﷺ said, out of caution, seeming to them. They never trim their beard. Here's a nakha'i says that such a person is a fool. Like was, why wouldn't a person clean up his beard a little? I can even read you the quote. Your imam, and nakai okay? And he meant by this, the fist length, the qabda. But clean it up, right? So you don't have an excessively long beard. And Malik prohibited as a type of riya, to have more than the fist length, okay? And then they shave their heads completely so that they don't have any type of um, vanity to themselves. So you 
see them fasting all the time, praying every sunnah and nafila until you say to yourself, I'm nothing in comparison to them. Anytime that you see somebody and you say, I'm nothing in comparison to them, note there is some kibr there on that person. Because the truly advanced will never make you feel that you're less than them. The truly near to Allah will never make you feel that you're anything less. In fact, they would make you feel special by the gifts Allah gave you. It should make you feel comfortable and inspired. Next one. Ismail ibn Najid. Oh, we just read this one. No, he continues. If a person skips the fara'id, then one day Allah Ta'ala will take from him the sweetness of performing that faridah, even if later on, not right away. وَسُئِلَ عَنِ التَّصَوُّفِ فَقَالَ He was asked on tasawuf, he says, أَسَّبْرُ تَحْتَ الْأَمْرِ وَالنَّهِ Tasawuf is that which leads you, that which guides you to patience in commandments and in prohibitions. Because that early phase is the most important one. The fundamentals, the bare bone basics is the most important one, which is avoiding prohibitions and fulfilling obligations. Let me tell you that one time... Um, a group of people, all they studied mainly was fiqh, and oftentimes like the theory of tasawwuf, like books of tasawwuf, and then they emphasize on zuhud and tahajjud, and memorize the Quran, and the sort of so-called dry elements of things. And their state was amazing. Then some people of tasawwuf came, and they took them away from that, and into singing, and doing adhkar, and being very kind and soft with everybody to the point that they would stop forbidding the wrong. And this took place really over a period of 10 years. Their state in the early time was better than the later time. And it is said, and Allah knows best, by many ulama, that al-ilm, if you are on ilm, and you leave ilm to do ibadah and nawafil, then you've gone down. Because ilm is always greater than ibadah and nawafil. Okay, so let's say a person wakes up in the morning and they memorize some Quran and they study some fiqh. Then somebody says, no, 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 pray to Hajjud is better. Right? So he wakes up in the morning and he doesn't memorize and he doesn't study fiqh. Okay? And rather he prays to Hajjud. He's gone down. This is from Iblis. It's from Jahl. He's gone down. Because the servants of knowledge... Oh, where where did I read it recently? Subhanallah, I just read it recently from the Salaf, where they said that. Oh, from Malik himself, Imam Malik himself. He quoted some people, Rabi'ah, his teacher, saying that for me to be asked a question and then not answer it, then look, search for the answer, then solve the problem based on knowledge. For that person and everybody else, I would prefer to do that one time than to make Hajj 20 times. Hajj 20 times benefits yourself. Malik said that he only arrived at what he arrived at because he was never asked a question except that he would not stop until he found the correct answer. And that answer that is, that is clear, that has a strong foundation, then once you get the answer from one person, you spread it to everybody. This is why the Habib, Habib Omar, emphasizes da'wah. 
The manhaj is ilm, suluk, da'wah. You don't know how many openings you're going to get from helping other people. And how much just you're leaving on the table if you just do ilm and suluk. If you just do ilm only and you have no concept of suluk, suluk means spiritual development. Travel in the path, spiritual path. Then are you going to become dry and you're not going to benefit people. If you do ilm and suluk, you're just selfish. If you do suluk only, oh, you're going to be a zindiq. Someone who says, I want spirituality only and I don't study the books. You'll be a zindiq. And I've seen it. I've seen a group of people. I don't know if I told you guys about this. I'm not going to say the exact number, but let me tell you that when I asked the brother, because this brother, he had nur on his face, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And anytime I'd be around him, something amazing would happen. As if it's like karamat almost, right? Like I remember one time someone asked a question and he said, I wonder if such and such is true. Literally at that moment, the light flickered, right? So he, the, so he said, there's your answer. The man, like you could say, literally has karamat, right? And things like that would always happen. Be mentioned, talking about someone, someone that person would call. Stuff that just seems like he's at another, he's attracting at another level, like attracting these karamat. His routine was probably to go home and every day to have about an hour of dhikr, 30 minutes of la ilaha illallah in a row, and then he'd have hizb of Quran and hizb of dilayr khairat. Okay, heavy, heavy dhikr. When I got to know his family though, they were almost missing, they were missing major fara'id. And they were committing major maharim. But because his state was so good, he didn't want to ruin his state by having to fight or command right and forbid wrong. Because when you have to command right and forbid wrong with your family, it's not a good feeling. It's like, oh, I have to go through this conflict again. And it's, it could start as a nice little word here and there. It may become a conflict. That's why Allah says, Command your family to the prayer, to the deen. Salah here means a deen. And have... Not sabr, istibar, istabr, with a ta added to it for great emphasis. That means it's going to be a conflict someday, and they may not look at you the same anymore. They're, oh, here we go again. Okay. Are you serious? This is what you're talking to me about? Yeah, this is what I'm talking to you about. This little thing, you think it's a little thing. Allah thinks it's a big thing, right? Sometimes it's like this, right? And they may be like, oh, okay. So this is a conflict. This is not fun. Nobody wants to do this, but Allah says do it. Now, these are in a, such a spiritual state that he's so in peace. He just doesn't do, they don't do that. Maybe they don't know it's important. So it was 100% dhikr. Their deen was 100% dhikr. Fast forward, that group is almost like there's no activity. It's nothing. There's nothing there. They have just suluk. No ilm, no da'wah. The da'wah is to each other to come to the dhikr sessions. That's it. But no concept of, all right, well, what are the people back home that you left at home? What are, what's their state? What are they doing? There's no concept of that. So fast forward, all of it just dissipated. It just went nothing, right? Now let's go to the group that has ilm and da'wah only. I've seen that too. They don't do suluk. No suluk. Ilm and da'wah. They're light years better. Light years better, but they do have a problem. Their people, especially their youth, they dry out. And when they dry out, guess what happens? They get bored of religion. 
Like they do good for like 20 years or the youth may do good for five years, but because there's no juice on the inside, they get bored. So reading texts becomes boring to them anymore, right? The, reading Quran, reciting Quran, listening to Quran becomes boring. And because they didn't have a tradition of spirituality, they end up going not to like Qasida, but to music, right? Or not to uh, uh, studying texts, even if the rational ones of them went from like studying texts to studying academic mumbo jumbo jargon. Because he, he wants this mental intellectual stimulation. He got bored of the Turaf, so he went into some other nonsense, right? Uh, left Dawah and went into business. Like they, can't, they used to gather for Dawah. Now they sort of got bored of that. So they get bored. But the right balance is all three. And the consequence of all three is that you will be slower in advancement in all three. You'll be slower in advancement. But that slowness in advancement has a great wisdom. No riyah. Your riyah is your nafs is broken. Anyone who just says, let's say I'm going to do ilm only, nothing but ilm, you're going to advance faster. But you're going to end up hitting hitting walls and hitting and in dead ends over years. This is slower, but it also it you always stay in love with it because like you're always seeing people surpass you. That's actually true. You're always going to see if you live balanced, you will always see people surpassing you. But it's going to give you two benefits. Number one. It's going to keep you humble. Number two, you actually get to see the negative results. Because if all they do, let's say, is spirituality, I got no family, I got no job, I'm nothing but to self. Yeah, he'll advance past you. And you'll get to see after a few years the results of that, right? And number three, the benefit of it, it keeps you loving it, keeps you desiring it. So that those are some of the benefits of balance. And that's all from the teachings uh, that three-part teaching that uh, all of Ahl Sunnah go by, based upon the Hadith of Jibreel alayhi Iman, Islam, and Ihsan. Doesn't it also go to uh, Surah Fatiha as well, which is the archetype of the uh, Bani Israel? Yep, correct. The archetype of Bani Israel is all law, no spirituality, and the Christians all spirituality, no law, and Islam has to have both. And both the Christians and the Jews, I think the Jews more than the Christians, the Jews said their message is for them only. And that's what they were told. It's for you only. The Christians innovated and took it to the world. Right? It was not meant to be. Because the Christian religion is meant to have the Torah. The Torah is restricted to the law living in this country only for our people. So they innovated, took it to the world. Okay? And when they innovated, they lost it all. They lost the aqidah when they innovated like that. And Islam comes to balance the two and bring it to the world. That's the difference. Okay. He continues, he's saying, What is the flaw of the human being? Is his satisfaction with himself. To be self-satisfied is a problem. Because... um, to be self-satisfied is um, going to stop you from growing. You got to be unsatisfied. That's why whenever, if you go slow, you're always going to be unsatisfied because it's relative, right? If you got a company and the company's, let's say, produces 10 items, it's going to take time to develop each 10 item, right? You got another company sells one item. If you sell one item, you sort of reach your limit quickly, right? But 
you surpass the other guy. And you always be feeling, man, did they did better. But you actually, in the, in the long run, are going to have a stronger company because you sell 10 different products, not just one product, right? Askar al-Nakhshabi. Qala Ahmad ibn al-Jalla. Sahibtu sitta mi'ati shaykhin. Sahibtu sitta mi'ati shaykhin. Ma laqeetu feehim mithla arba'a. Ahmed ibn Jalla says, I, I, I kept the company 600 shiuch. I didn't find anyone like them but four. Uh, uh, like four unique ones. Awaluhum, Abu Turab and Nakshabi. And Abu Turab said, Al Fakiru kutuhu ma wajada. For the Fakir, your sustenance is whatever you find. Walibasuhu ma satara. And his clothes is whatever covers his body. Wamaskanuhu haythu nazal. And his home is wherever he stops for the night. وَقَالَ إِذَا صَدَقَ الْعَبْدُ فِي الْعَمَلِ وَجَدَ حَلَاوَتَهُ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَعْمَلَهُ Unbelievable. This is an unbelievable one. That's really true. If you have true sitq, then you find in your, in your deeds, then you will have sweetness in it. You will find the sweetness of it before you even do it. That Allah is rewarding your intent before you do it. How sweet is it the trip to hajj and the preparation of hajj? Who here has made hajj? The preparation of Hajj, like those months before, you get you begin getting your reward, because there's something special about the preparation of Hajj. There's like something Anwar coming to you. Then there's Anwar coming to you when you just when you start the journey, and you are considered to be on Hajj the moment you you leave your house until the moment you return. Right? You're considered on Hajj in, in the sense that. You're special in the sight of Allah and His angels. You got a special light and a special reward. Okay. Oh, this is very important. Very important. He says, if he starts to see his companions dropping off, what does he do? He compensates for them. By doing more ibadah himself. Why? Because Allah says, Allah does not change the state of a people until they change themselves. In other words, you're in a state of goodness because all of your collective ibadah is, let's say, at level 75. Now, some of your companions start dropping and getting into the dunya and dropping off. They're going to bring the group down. Now, you need a special group to balance them out. It's extremely important. right? And that's why it's very important to grow the circuit and the group of people who are really focusing on suluk and ibadah and ilm and da'wah, they got to be strong because when the com- rest of the community drops off, which happens, the common folk, I hate to say this, but many common folk, they're addicts to novelty. Once the whole teaching is loses its novelty, they start getting bored because shaitan can easily get them off. They get bored of it. They don't stop doing it. And they start going to concerts and they start buying ridiculous stuff with their money and they start becoming absurd, right? And you know what I think? I think they get comfortable because they know someone else is doing the deed for them and putting the blockages and putting the protection for the community, right? That's what happens. They're like, okay, he's the man of Allah. They, they got it covered, right? We're going to be protected. As long as we hang out with that circle, we'll be protected. 
And then they go off to, 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 to attend concerts. They go off to do nonsense. They go off to, 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 to get involved in this garbage, thinking, oh, that's okay. We'll say salam to them, smile at them, and we'll get some of that baraka, right? Really, that's the way people think. Or they just take it for granted. The, the, the fitna-free, kids are guided. That's not coming out of no reason, for no reason. That's coming because there are efforts being put in. And Allah is having mercy as a result of those efforts. And they just take it for granted. They think, oh, that's what the community is. So they can go fool around, be stupid, and think that this is going to continue. It's not. And if it does, it may not continue for you. You may go off and fall into fitna. The rest of the jama'ah can be safe. So it's really important for the regular common folk to understand that it's a collective effort. And it's amazing that he says this, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he judges the group. So if some of the group starts to go down, someone's got to make up for it. Amazing that observation that he makes. He would increase his tahajjud. Can Abu Turab yaqul, Baini wa bain Allahi ahdun, between Allah and myself is an oath, Allah amudda yadi ila haram, illa qasurat yadi anhu. I don't reach my hand to the haram except something comes to obstruct me. Wa yaqulu, ma taman, uh, my nafs only pulled me to something once I uh, had a desire of bread and eggs while traveling I left the path completely and went to stay in a village I'm, no, these are at another level at that point. I, it's at another level, okay? At another level. فَوَثَبَ عَلَيَّ رَجُلٌ وَتَعَلَّقَ بِي A man became attached to me. And he kept my company. وَقَالَ كَانَ هَذَا مَعَ اللُّصُوسِ فَأَلْقَوْنِي أَرْضًا وَصَرَبُونِي سَبْعِينَ عَصَى Okay? كَانَ هَذَا مَعَ اللُّصُوسِ He was with thieves, this person. So they threw me off. All right, uh, and they hit me seventy lashes. فوقف علينا رجل سوفي فصرخ وقال ويحكم هذا أبو تراب النخشبي. Okay, فخلوني واعتذروا إلي. Okay, so they said, let Abu Turab here, who has come to visit us, let him be the judge. Okay. وأدخلني الرجل منزله وقدم إلي خبزا وبيضا. Right. Right. So the man who make him a judge, he said, Come in now. So you can judge. But before you judge, you have dinner. And they presented him eggs and bread. <laughs> SubhanAllah, exactly what he wanted. Okay. SubhanAllah. All right. So he came, uh, um, uh, finally arrived at Mecca, and they said, you look fresh, traveling. You look tra- f- fresh, right? Uh, what did you eat? Because you look, your face looks bright. He said, what did you eat? He said, oh, I ate once in Basra, and I ate once in another city. He had two meals on the whole trip. Actually, there, there, there is uh, studies even, because we... In the modern times, 
people always want this stuff to be, they want some observable evidence for this. There's a lot of studies on that decreasing your food to like almost extreme levels. But if it happens gradually, it's amazing for your health. Your body becomes extremely healthy. But, you know, this stuff, it's not going to happen as long as you have regular Muslim families. It's not you who can't discipline yourself. You are bound by adab. You're bound by adab. Why aren't we bound by adab? So you're going to go to a Muslim family's home that invites you. They may be a relative. They may be an in-law. And they have a spread. Not a meal. A spread. Like they may have spent from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. cooking. That's a shift. That's an eight-hour day, right? Cooking. Now, you're going to come in here and you're not going to eat their food? That's an insult now at that point, right? So we can take another sunnah from the Prophet is when a righteous person cooks you food, eat it with shahwa. Right, so that's hopefully our makhraj from that, right? And so you, and secondly, you're the prisoner of your host. You have to eat. So then we, we, you just have to eat. And some people do a thing, and I'm not, I'm not endorsing this, because you don't want to be discovered doing this, and it's a little bit of an insult too. But they have learned to perfect fake eating. In front of the person, they take. Oh, this is amazing! Take a big bite, but then very slyly. Take it, put it in someone else's plate. Oh, try this. You got to try this. Try this. And then he didn't eat much. This is like fake eating, right? And it is okay if you don't insult the person. And that the food's not going to go to waste because that's haram too. Okay. And you ever, only in America, I don't want to know if you guys ever have this saying in your house, right? Finish off the last spoons. May Allah reward you, right? Does it ever happen in your house? Finish off this food so we don't have to throw it in the in the garbage. May Allah reward. Only in America we think we get rewarded for eating, right? Oh, I'm full. So just finish this little off before we throw it in the garbage. May Allah reward you, right? We're getting reward for overeating here in America. That's only in America. Is that the case? I don't know. All right. Looks like we're not gonna finish today, but we will finish it next week. Okay. Let's go to the Q&A now. Take from reading from Risad al-Qushayriya. Let's go to the Q&A. Let's see what we got here. All right, Q&A has begun. Adian, what do you have to say? Anything? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Habib Omar goes travels for Dawah to Dawah, and um, he said the struggle in these trips is not the lack of sleep or anything like that. It's the eating. Because again, you're hosted, right? You're hosted, so you have to eat. And it is an, an annoying struggle, I'll tell you why, because your hal dissipates. When you fill your stomach, your spirituality goes down. It's one of the prices to pay, you know, of being a guest. That's exactly what exposing yourself to the people and being patient with their fitna. Is that not fitna? It's terrible. You go and you have a good steady had and a state because like you're measured, your food is measured, you have your regular routine. Then all of a sudden you have two, three gatherings in a row and you find yourself weighed down now, right? And your state is not there anymore. You, what else bothers your state is that the chit-chat is just inane. And it's all of the dunya. And it's just like extremely bothersome, right? 
But that's also from the fitna of the people. It's having sabr with the fitna of the people. And if you can influence them, good. But you can't insult them or make them feel any better, that you're any better than them. That's the sharts of success in da'wah. Okay? Is that you cannot make people feel you're any better than them. And they, yeah, they, they, they do bother us. They do talking about the dunya. That does, still doesn't mean I'm better because I don't know how they're going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. That's how you rationalize it because we can't fake it and say, and, and, and not uh, recognize an objective fact in, in fact in front of us. This is lahul hadith. This is nonsense. You're ruining my state right now. I'm still not better than you because I don't know how you're going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. So I still have no kibber in front of, uh, uh, you're not better than me, but at this moment in time, okay, you're not doing something good, right? And I don't want to be around you. But you still may be better than me in the future. Yes. You should accept the invitation unless there is a reason, as Ibn Mas'ud said, when he did not go to a wedding that had munkar in it, and they said, did not the Prophet say, you Muslim must accept the invitation? He said, not this kind of invitation. Any halal invitation where munkar will not occur, and that hadith, you feel the nadb. That hadith implies nadb, not obligation. Okay? So it's mandub for you to now accept that invitation. And if you inv accept an invitation, here's another thing. You can't ask what care the meat came from. Because you've already accepted the invitation. Right? Is now you cannot enter someone's home and then insult them. So you may sort of, I don't know, trying to ask around what their opinion is on things. Because unfortunately, there are many Arabs and now they have infected some of the daisies. It's a Christian country, say Bismillah. Okay? How do you have this in North Jersey and in Central Jersey where the halal food is in ShopRite? Where there's as much halal available as not halal. Like, why would you have to even go to this? Like, you have no need for this. Okay? Here, not only in America, they say. In Morocco, too, this happens. Finish this off, may Allah reward you. <laughs> how, about, how about this one? I can't, eat, I can't finish it. You know the kids in Africa... Okay, but if I eat it, they're still hungry, right? How does this, how does the math add up here? So wait, me eating it, how does that change their fact right, in Africa? Feel bad. Yeah, they don't make you feel bad. But mathematically, wait a second, this is not adding up. Yeah. You don't know where the barakah is in the... In the That's the true too. Yeah, you don't know where the barakah is. You don't know where the barakah is. Yeah. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah, it's a scam, right? No, I, many of us have a habit, just whatever's in the plate, we clean off the plate, whatever it is. Like, no such thing as throwing food in the garbage, right? And, um, you know, people say that, and sometimes I'm thinking maybe, well, maybe you're assuming a lot about yourself and your house and your money, okay? Maybe there's also some riba there, some lana there too, right? <laughs> so a little bit of a pat yourself on the back. Back in the day, food that was haram was like almost unheard of but today riba has touched everything and we have problems okay. not only that who actually like you may be shar'i innocent and valid to eat some food meat for example but the truth you don't know right I'm, it's on 
collective trust of this butcher. Is it rationally within the possibility that he slips in a lie or something? Of course it is, right? Of course. Some of them have been caught and exposed. Butchers lie to the community about their meat being halal. All we can go by by Sharia is this person doesn't do outward sins. So he's salah to us. He can, we can trust, take his word for it. Let's say the moment the guy sells halal food, but then he opened another restaurant with liquor. No, you're not salah anymore. We're not trusting you. We, would still, we could still buy from you if you have some secondary proof, such as a manager in the back who was salah. He says, yeah, the owner is crazy, but this is halal food. I buy it myself. I do the shipping, right? Procurement, it's called. Or um, we can also trust if our minds deem the wrapping to be sound. Like if there's a halal company that wraps the food in such a way, in such a way that it's not conceivable that someone will fake that wrapping, right? Then we can accept that. Whereas by fiqh, if halal meat, exits the ver- the view of a Muslim, it loses its testimony because we don't take fatwa from a non-believer. So that means I say to you, hey, listen, I'm sending you 10 chickens, but I'm sending it to you through a Christian farmer who also has his own chickens. Now it's within reason that he could have mixed up the chickens. He could have dropped one chicken and said, I'll just replace it with one of mine. Right, that's not halal or a pagan. Let's say just to to, to take out ahl kitab from the equation, a Hindu guy or something. It's within reason that he's not cautious with the ten chickens, and there's no demarcation. Right, then we won't accept it because it's as if it's accepting a fatwa. We don't take a fatwa from a non-Muslim. But if you packaged it in such a way, right, and you say, "Listen, I'm going to give you a package of chicken. I'm sending it with the company." And this 10 chickens are wrapped with uh, my label on it. And it becomes inconceivable that a pagan is going to go find his label, print it, and fake it. Right? Then we can accept that. And that's basically like our version of the halal brands at ShopRite today. So that's why we're allowed to accept it. But the moment, uh, if you go to a Christian butcher, a non-Muslim butcher, and he says, here, no, this chicken right here is halal. And he picks up a chicken wing. Really? Who slaughtered it? Abdul, right? I got it from Abdul. No, that's a, I can't accept that. Even if I trust him in the dunya, I can trust him in worldly matters. Can't trust him in a, in a uh, ukhrawi matters because he doesn't believe in the akhirah that we fear. And he doesn't abide by our law. Our khawarij Muslim, they are Muslim, but they're innovators, so their deeds are not acceptable until they change their beliefs. What is a karama? A karama is a gift from Allah, something that is not the norm of how life happens, and hence it gives you a feeling that Allah is blessing you and confirming what you're upon in your beliefs and your actions. That's a karama. Okay. We were told as kids, leftover food will chase you on Yom Al-Qiyamah. How many people have got that one too? You got that one? Oh, I got that one. I remember that one. I remember hearing that one. It's gonna the rice is gonna run after you on the day of judgment. Yeah. 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 What is the difference between Mu'tazila and Ash'aris? In the thirty second answer of that is that Mu'tazila uh, bound themselves by certain principles that contradicted 
verses and hadith of the Quran. Uh, 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 verses of Quran and a hadith of the Prophet and hence their, their, their understanding ended up contradicting um, so their use of, of intellect went beyond its bounds and they negated verses of and, and hadith when Abu al-Hassan al-Ash'ari who was a Mu'tazili he saw the Prophet وسلم, the Prophet وسلم, said read my hadith so he left all the books of reason and intellect and he just studied hadith day and night on the order of the prophet وسلم, and that lasted for some period of time until hadith had like entered his whole being this is what shah waliullah implemented in the subcontinent who were very aqli based it's a persian tradition this aqlaniyah very rationally based maturidi scholars and philosophers and he says too much falsafa right so he instituted Dawrat al-Hadith, one year of reading all Hadith day and night for one year so that it enters your bones and you become a lover of transmitted knowledge. And so Abu Hassan al-Ash'adi did that and he read Hadith day and night. It became very well-versed in Hadith. And then he saw the Prophet wasallam a second time and he said, I said read Hadith. I didn't say leave off kalam. So then he realized that his mission in life would be to rectify between the two. What is kalam? Kalam is bringing a rational categorization of our beliefs and a rational way to reconcile beliefs, uh, narrations that seem to oppose to one another. And there are many narrations that would seem to us, they contradict each other. Okay. Here's a question for you. Sometimes the Quran says, for example, men fi samawati wa men fil ard. Okay? Or ma fi samawati wa ma fil ard. And other ayat say ma fi samawati wal ard. What is one way to know the difference of what's going to come when? So how do I know if it says what's in the heavens and what's in the earth? Ma fi samawati wa ma fil ard. Versus what's in the heavens and the earth. Okay. Whenever the heavens and the earth are referring to the creatures in it, it's always repeated. What is in the heavens and what is in the earth? Because they are different. The creation in the heavens are not in the earth and the creations in the earth are not in the heavens. So they're distinct. But whenever it's an attribution to Allah's creation, he created both. So it's linked. That's a quick way for people who are doing hivs to recognize the difference. Okay, When you're doing hift, underline the mutashabihat and write them down somewhere. Okay? Mutashabih is verses that sound alike. And, or circle the similar words that are in an ayah. For example, surat, I believe it's a saf. Okay? Allah mentions three people that are going to fail. Al-Zalimin, wal-Kafirun, wal-Mushrikun. So that you don't confuse them, you should circle them. So when you look at the page, you see the parts that, that you may trip up on in your hifs. And anyone can make hifs if you split the page in half. This is one of the best techniques. Find a, a, an ayah somewhere in the middle that where the subject changes and split the ayah in half. Split the page in half by making a line there. That will render every surah to be the size of almost surah to shams. How easy to memorize Surah Shams? Pretty easy, right? 
So the whole Quran is 1200 Surah Tashamsas. Right? That's it. So if it takes if it would take you one day to memorize Surah Tashams, it'd take you a decade to memorize the Quran. That's it. Give, including sick days, travel days, missed days, right? A decade. It may take you 20 minutes to memorize Surah Tashams, right? So it may take you just 20 minutes a day to sit and memorize half a page. And then one day a week to review. You're not going to review everything. You're going to review something. But over time, time is your ally if you do this. If you have discipline, time is your friend. Time is your ally. Surah Salaq says that there are seven earths. Uh, Imam Al-Alusi said this is seven other earths with its own inhabitants. Could this be an evidence for parallel universes? I can't t- talk to any with any certainty. Let's see what Al-Baghawi says in Surah Al-Talaq, which we just were actually, we just covered it, but I don't think he mentions it here. Read in the Tafsir. All right, Surah Al-Taghavun, Surah Al-Talaq. It said A number 12. Okay. He created seven heavens and from the earths like them. Okay. Okay. The command of Allah comes down with them. Okay. I'm going to get to coffee and leaves as an important question. Can I ask you something? Should the study of Islamic sciences be started with ilm al-hal first? No. It should be studied with aqidah first. Ilm al-hal is like one of the last things you need. You don't need that. And the one who has it can write the book on it. Okay. Bilwahi min as-sama'a as-sab'a as-sab'a ila al-ard as-sufla qala ahlu al-ma'ani huwa ma yudiru fihinna min ajibi tadbirihi fa'inzilu al-matar wa yakhruju al-nabat. Al-Amr means here Allah's command for what happens in these earth from rain and growth of trees, etc. وَيَأْتِي بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَالصَّيْفِ وَالشِّتَاءِ And brings the four seasons. وَيَخْلُقُ الْحَيَوَانِ عَلَى اخْتِلَافِ هَيْآتِهَا And he creates different animals. And he makes them move from state to state. All of these creations and things that are happening. فِي كُلِّ أَرْضٍ مِنْ أَرْضِهِ وَسَمَاءٍ مِنْ سَمَائِهِ In every planet of his planets and heavens of his heavens. خَلْقٌ مِنْ خَلْقِهِ وَأَمْرٌ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ وَقَضَاءٌ مِنْ قَضَائِهِ In every one of these seven heavens and seven earths, there is his own command that fulfills. لِتَعْلَمُوا So that you may know أَنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ That is Allah is capable of all things. وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ قَدَحَاتُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عِلْمًا He has knowledge of all things. So if they ever discover another planet out there, this will be an ayah for our to increase our iman because he he mentions seven earths and he says so that you know that Allah is powerful over all things so that we have it in the Quran here we have historical record that the Quran is already with us and that we only know of one planet with beings on it so the day they come around and they discover another planet with its own life forms on it right who knows what the, if it's possible or not it's possible what we Muslims will say we say well, Allah said so we should just increase in Iman. So take this as a vaccine 
Take it as a, a vitamin. Put it in the uh, in the bank right now. Okay, so you have it on the day that some NASA person comes out and says, "This is a major breakthrough. We have discovered and we now have evidence." Okay, that there is another planet out there with its own ecosystem, its own existence, its own life, its own something. Okay, we say you're behind the times. There's five more. That's two. Us, them, there's five more. Okay. I'm really interested in what others said about it. Very, very interested. What they said is the realities. Do we and, and do we have transmitted evidence? Any transmission that's even Hayan, even like a flimsy transmission of what would be on there. Okay. Their own life forms, maybe. Maybe that's where Ibn Abbas said, it's us exactly that's there. Another Ibn Abbas and another, you know. But where did Ibn Abbas get that from? The Jewish mystics? Because Ibn Abbas was known to sit with the Jews. Uh, not the Jews, but Ka'b al Ibn Abbas was, he loved to take knowledge of the, you know, these additional things that are not, that the Prophet didn't speak about for a wisdom. The Prophet limited what he spoke about for a wisdom. Okay. So Ibn Abbas wanted to hear what the, because the Prophet said, said, go and read their books because they have amazing things to say. The Fima Ajaib. Ajaib could have two meanings. Ajib in how false this is, and Ajib, right, even if it's acceptable. So it has both meanings. How do you go to Jannah without waiting the 50,000-year period? No, the 50,000-year period is not for every Muslim and for every mu'min. You can go to Yawm Al-Qiyamah with a hisab and yasira, a short hisab. And inshallah ta'ala, we can attain that by Allah's mercy. We have to earn that mercy. We work not to earn Jannah. We work to earn mercy. Okay. Will Jesus tell people their station in paradise? What is the role of the Dabatil Art? Dabatil Art. Jesus alayhi salam will return and will speak of the people to his people, the Christian or, or who attribute themselves to him about the truth. And he will tell them that here I am. There's no crucifixion happened to me. Okay? That's the meaning of breaking the cross. So breaking the cross means when he comes, the whole religion becomes null and void. Right, the whole religion comes. Out. Let me take take an example. If a person, if a person, there's a there's a line in a book, or let's say somebody has in a book a line that we're disagreeing about, right? Then in another book, he explains himself. The author explains himself. Then our debate is done with, right? Or the author himself comes in. Okay, we can ask him, "What did you mean by this?" Right. So that's the exact same. Once the person himself comes in and he's the only face that's been preserved, face of Asa, there is a, a worldwide known likeness of what Prophet Jesus is going to look like. There's a wisdom in that, in that when he comes, there's going to be no doubt that it's him. Right? And there's, if you think about this, no other prophet do we have any sense of what he looks like as an image. And of course, we have it transmitted in the Shema and what the Prophet looked like and what he didn't look like. But who knows that? Only people who study. But if, if Allah wants them to be known to everybody, 
who studied and didn't study, and has painted all across the world that Jesus has a stature that is neither tall nor short, that is n- more to the, th- to the lean side than the thick side. The prophet wasn't lean. The prophet was balanced, and if he had anything, he was more towards the strong and the thick, wide, shouldered, and big hands than skinny. Abu Bakr was skinny. Omar was big. Sayyidina Ali was big. Sayyidina Uthman was lean. Uh, the prophet was more towards, slightly towards, the wides, the, the strong side. Okay, he had, The prophet had a full beard. Sayyidina Isa has like a pointy, thin-haired beard. Prophet Sayyidina had black hair. Sayyidina Isa has reddish hair. Like these are very clear, distinct features. Okay, That people who have that look, we, they call it the Jesus look. Right? They have no respect for their prophets, to be honest. They have no respect. All right? What, you got that? When one of the Boston... Um, you guys may not remember this. You're probably too young. But in my day, there was a player on the Boston Red Sox and the Yankees. They hated each other. They had like a rivalry of death. And one of the Red Sox players left the Red Sox, joined the Yankees. And that was like a big deal when I was young. So at the game, at the first game back in Boston, they had T-shirts printed, okay? And this guy had long hair, like long reddish hair and a reddish beard. So they said, looks like Jesus, acts, uh, throws like Mary, acts like uh, Judas, right? Because Judas is the traitor. These people have no respect for the religion at all. No respect. I went into a restaurant once, an Italian restaurant, to wash my hands. On top of the toilet was a picture of Jesus and Mary. Like, do you think that that's praise? Like, you're praising them or loving them by putting their picture on? I took it off. It's not even Jesus and Mary. We don't believe in these things. But nonetheless, you're attempting that. I took it down. I put it in a shelf. Either way, I'm benefiting, right? Because I'm hiding a picture that's haram for us to look at. And with their attempt to honor Jesus and Mary, I removed it. Anytime you see someone like disrespect the Mosaf, find an excuse to take it. Like one time I was sitting with a Hafiz. Hafiz. Quran. He had the Mosaf on the table and his feet on the table. Right? What's wrong with you? He had his feet on the edge of the table and the Mosaf's right there. Some people purposely, they purposely do that because they believe to honor the Mosaf itself is a step towards shirk. They say that that's just the book. The word of Allah is separate than this is just the pages. Okay. Well, what if I did that to you and stuck my feet on the table to you? Are you, I say, that's just your dunyawi body. That's not your essence and your that, right? So you make an excuse. You say, uh, uh, I'm just thinking about an ayah, trying to remember it, and you pick it up. But don't ever leave it. It corrodes your heart. If you leave the disrespect of the Prophet of Allah and his messenger and you just accept it, you put a, like a black spot in your heart. You find a way. Be creative. One time someone, um, I went to a place, it was very embarrassing. And I, it was like the workplace, but it was a very fancy workplace. The lunch there, eats to die for. Like real food. Fancy workplace, executive level stuff. So they said, okay, just take the shrimp. I took the shrimp. But I saw that the guys, the way they make the shrimp is in the same pan. Take the shrimp out, put the chicken in. Take the chicken out, put the ham in. I'm like, I can't eat it now, right? Because it's mixed up. But I was sort of young, and this person was like, I don't know what to say. 
right? When you're young, you don't have the courage to just talk, right? And it's an older person. So I tripped. I spilled the whole thing, right? Oops, right? <laughs> and it was a little bit of a scene, but at least I got away from Nadine Haram, right? And I went on and just took the veggie option after that. Someone says a brother is in a difficult marriage and his wife has stopped praying and practicing whatever she would of Islam and she blames him for it. And she says, because of you, I don't feel like praying. Okay. Well, to, unfortunately, this is the way of Iblis because Iblis said, oh Allah, you're the reason I'm committing disobedience. To which degree, if any, is the husband to blame for this? Is this even a thing? Well, it depends what the husband did. She, he could share in the blame. She never is going to be blameless because the prayer is an obligation from Allah. But yes, it is conceivable that you also share in the blame. You can drive people crazy. And you'll only know this if you have your own kids, right? Like there's, there's, a, there's a measured amount of correction to make before you really make someone want a book, want to leave measured amount of correction so if there are 10 mistakes the person is making in their prayer you keep them in your mind and you have to balance out between the praise and the blame and the correction okay and you have to spread it over time yes i am seeing it and i'm not doing anything about it now because i'm timing it right i'll do something about it later right because you cannot possibly correct 10 things at once you make the person firstly they won't do it it's too much. One correction every once in a while can stick, right? It can stick. But 10 corrections at once, he gets lost. So, tadarruj. It is possible that a person does. It's called tenfir. You made the person hate the religion. And munafirun. Okay. Uh, someone's asking, anyone know of a good place or group in the Philly area that can help a 40-year-old get started with Islam? Who's in Philly? His name is Daniel Mooney. He's yeah. Our guys in Philly that came to Awaylim. But I don't have any of their phone numbers on me. Shoot, subhanAllah. Place, I mean, but it depends where you well, are. Well, Philly's a bit far from there, but in Philly itself is our oh, our, Philly, our crew. Our crew. I can't remember their their numbers right now. I have their numbers in front of me right there. Qasim Maddox says, friend doesn't want children, informed wife before marriage. Now she wants kids. What should they do? Stay in a bad mood until the guy gives up, right? Isn't that the way, you know, things work between two people? Stay in, uh, you don't want children? Okay, then you have no need for the cause that brings about children, right? <laughs> you don't want children, right? No, but this is a problem. That's why you're, that shart is invalid in the first place. I wonder if that shart is invalid. Because from the purposes of marriage is to have the riyah. Just like it's invalid if someone says, we're going to get married, but we can't have intercourse. It's invalid. We're going to get married, but you can't touch me. It's invalid, right? Because from the purposes that the Sharia has made marriage, one of the reasons, not the only reason, is intimacy. So you cannot forbid it. Say, like I'm going to sell you a phone, but don't call somebody. It's a shart that's invalid. The marriage is valid, but that condition is invalid. We have to ask if that shart is invalid. But anyway, it still takes two people. But that, then it's really more in the wife's hands. 
right? He's, unless he's going to sit and make her take a pill every morning. Like it's more in the wife's hands than, than anything else. But that's a problem. I think that you should look into that and maybe ask your, your ask around. Because even if the shart is invalid, we're not machines. He still has to go along. He still has to raise a child. He has to live with it. He has to not be in a bad mood about it, right? Not be angry about it. Not resent the kid. Like all the sorts of psychological things are involved. So he's got to make, he's got to change his opinion on his own. Okay. You got to change his opinion on his own because he can't say, oh, well, you forced me into it. Then every time, oh, get up for soccer practice. Oh, you forced me into this. Get up, go get me a diaper. Oh, you forced me into it. And every time he buys, di- you know how much the diaper costs, right? <laughs> you're not taking a vacation that year. Okay. If you're going to Italy, you're going to Vermont this year. Okay, all from the diapers and the baby formula and the baby food and the and all the trap, the headache of putting together the baby where the baby sleep, and then they change every six months. It's different. The first it's a bassinet. Three months later, it's a baby thing. Uh, Twelve months later, the baby thing has to become a little baby bed. One year later, after that, he grows out of that. The amount of furniture, the amount of little things. And then they're nonstop milking the baby industry. Now there's some people that have formula. They formula feed because they're sick or something. There's a reason. They formula feed. They don't breastfeed. So they get the formula. In the middle of the night, there's nothing worse okay, than having to get up, microwave the baby formula, right, for the bottle. So they created a hack. Okay? It's a bottle holder. has two bottle holders in it. And you put water in there, you plug it in, you turn it on. That water stays warm the whole time. Okay? Put the baby formula in there. All night. So you wake up, baby's asleep, without even closing your eyes. Open your eyes. You feed the baby. It's me right now. Huh? I a kitten. You have a kitten and, and you have to one? feed it? Yeah, I have to feed the baby formula with the bottle. You're kidding. How cute is that? SubhanAllah. Okay. Sister, you accepted the condition, and now... You have a problem, but Allah can help you, right? And I think the condi- it doesn't make a difference whether the condition is valid or invalid. You still have a problem because he's got to be all in because it's such a life-altering thing, okay? Are there habayb in Istanbul? Not that I know of. Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> How do I build tawakkul during changing life circumstances, says Naba? Uh, when Allah says, makes a command, you follow it, you do it, even if it looks like something scary is going to happen, such as people who leave jobs um, without any job, because it's forbidden, without any other job prospects. Allah says, whoever has taqwa, he makes a way out. You don't wait for the way out, then have taqwa. You don't wait to get another job, then have taqwa. Have taqwa first. Can I get? Uh, can I marry someone who is an innovator, like this person says a Shia? Uh, that this marriage would be impermissible for us to engage in. Haram. For us, forget marriage. It's haram to have suhba, right? To keep the friendship of a public sinner from the Sunnis, let alone someone who has errors in their aqidah, which makes them a mubtada, a fasiq, and a mubtada. The suhba al fasiq is haram. A guy who owns a liquor store. I can't be friends with him going to his house. He comes to my house. No. I can't be friends with this person. That's an endorsement. Let alone marrying them. 
and let alone an innovator in aqidah because matters of beliefs are more important than actions. Yes. What about a child at union that's a relative? How would you say there's someone... What if that the child of somebody whose parents, one is an innovator yes. and one is a head of sunnah? Ask them, you guys caused the problem. Don't come to me to solve your problem. What, what they this say? is the truth from Ibn Abbas. He says, Allah says, whoever has taqwa, he gives you a way out. You didn't have taqwa, so Allah won't give you a way out. Now you suffer. But if N- they no offense. expect you to visit or celebrate that birth, you yeah. can celebrate it, correct? Oh, can I go and celebrate there, that? There, yeah. Okay, so that, um, first of all, to be accurate, and this is not an endorsement, but the marriage with a fasiq or an innovator is haram but valid. The marriage to a zindiq, like someone who, whose beliefs are contrary to what is known in religion by necessity, that's called a zindiq, worse than an innovator. Okay, That marriage is invalid. Marriage of a Muslim to a Hindu. Muslim, Muslim to a Qadiani. Right? All right? The Hindu is a kafir, obviously. The Qadiani, we call that person zindiq. The marriage to them is, not, is haram and invalid. It's not even valid. Okay? So... The 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 cel- to to go and celebrate the birth of a child that comes out of the relationship that was haram to engage in but valid. What is the ruling on that? Is your question? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. And so I would say about it that it's what do you who are you congratulating? Who are you you know? Supporting in this, right? That's a tough question. Tough question. All of us in our families may have to really navigate these tough situations. And may Allah help all the people who are navigating. And inshallah, people make sacrifices, they make mistakes. Inshallah, Allah forgives us all for, for those because it's not everyone who has a nice, clean cut Sunni family. Some people do, but it's not clean cut. And when you have to be patient, you want to be cautious with your religion, but you also have life to live. And I can't pick fight two every two weeks. It's just not, it's exhausting. So, uh, what's a dua for marriage and stable life? Though the first thing is, whatever you want from Allah, you ask it directly. And secondly, if you want, you got to run? All right, take care. Oh, good. If you, if you want to uh, have a stable married life, have istiqamah with Allah, Allah will guard your life. Be sincere with Allah. Be honest. Be direct. Be uh, hardworking when it comes to your deen and your your religion and your marriage uh, and your and your everything. And there is taqwa with people. Like taqwa with people is being mindful of them, being generous of them, being courteous, caring about the little things. Okay? Marriage is all little things. That's my belief. Marriage is all. We may think it's big things because the contract it's like a big thing. Uh, protect this person for life, all that, get a home, all that stuff. But the actual reality of marriage is all the little things. You're thinking to text and you don't. That's a little pebble, right? You could put a heart emo- emoji, but you don't. That's a little pebble, right? But it amounts after a while. You know that the person doesn't like your coffee mug left out. It's a very little thing, right? Can't you just put it in the sink? It's a very little thing. 
But all of marriage is very little things. And I believe actually all of life is little things. Because if you take that ethic in marriage, you take that ethic everywhere else, and all these little things compile up to a big thing. Not the Prophet said most people enter Jannah. They don't enter the hellfire by major sins, by little ones that they just didn't consider to be a big deal. Because you weighed it on your scale. Big deal is, no Muslim should ever say it's not a big deal. All right? A sunnah is not a big deal or something minor haram thing. Sagira is not a big deal because it's about Allah. It's not about you. This is about Allah. It's not about you. Allah decides, not you. Is rejecting hadith kufr? Yeah, I believe there's an adiqah. Quran only, I don't, would not consider them Muslims. Yeah. Because you're, you, you by necessity negate many things known in religion by necessity. And it's uh, probably the greatest disrespect to the Prophet ﷺ is perennialism and Quranism. Perennialism, the perennialist is also outside of Islam. When you're holding that the belief in the Prophet, despite having heard of him, is not an obligation, and the person can still attain salvation without it. This is, this is yours indeed. You negated the biggest, it's the first pillar. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. That's shahada, is the first pillar of Islam. Okay, it doesn't matter if you pray and fast after that. If someone has three hours of free time, how should they utilize it fully to grow spiritually? I would, I would um, probably divide it up into 30-minute segments and make it balanced. Okay, make it balanced across. There are many different things you can do in six... 30-minute segments, and you should have something for your deen, something for your dunya, okay? something of knowledge, something of relaxation, right? A little bit of everything. If you gave me three free hours right now, I sleep. It's nonstop. You get to a point in life, it's literally nonstop. There's never a moment of rest. But it's a ni'mah. It is a ni'mah. Because that means there's no free time to have a bad thought. Like there's no free time to have a depressing thought. There's no free time to have a negative thought. There's no free time to think about other people, right? Most people who, who have dramas and crisis just get busy, man. You got too much free time to think about this. Oh, they went, they didn't invite me. Oh, they went and they did this. What's the, 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 the precondition of that? The precondition of all negative and sad thoughts is you have to have the time to have those thoughts. I, I, I would say most of my people in my generation, now they're in the phase where there are little kids, there are teenagers, there are elderly in their life right now. Parents are old, teenage kids, that's a whole different pitch. It's like a curveball. And then there are little kids, which is not like a heavy weight. There's, no, there's nothing new about it. It's just like a heavy weight. And then the elderly is a fragile glass. Well, no, that, that's the, the marriage itself is a fragile vessel. You got to take care of that too. And then the elderly is also like a very sensitive thing. And then you have to work and you got to make money. So all, whenever I see all my friends, I see the same look in their face. It's like bags under their eyes. All the people who are reaching that age, there's bags under their eyes, right? They look at you. Nothing that ever happened in the past between you, like matters anymore. If it was bad, nothing matters. It's like they, we both went to the hellfire. We've both been through hell, so nothing of the past really matters. Nothing of the future could really excite you anymore, which is weird. 
So you just got to accept everything as a ni'mah from Allah Ta'ala. Everything is a ni'mah. Uh, yeah. A question repeatedly. Uh, opinion on Mawlid parades, Sheikh. How do we invite you to an event? Mawlid parade where? Jersey City. Uh, I'm not sure, but just asking you. Send it to booking at sifinusadi.org. And also your opinion on Mawlid parades. Yeah, I go. <laughs> I would go. What's wrong with that? There's marches. People do marches for all sorts of things. This is the march for the love of the Prophet, so I send them, right? People, if you say we're going to march in protest of something, what about marching in support of something? Just in exp- did not the Prophet said march with Hamza on his right side, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Omar on his right side, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa marched in between them and the Muslims all behind them. And there were only 40 Muslims at that time. Sayyidina Omar was the 40th male. They marched. Don't know if all of them there were, but they marched. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah all around Mecca. That's the first march in Islam. I wish that we have a protest march. We just go there, Hasbunallah, Na'mal Wakil, you know, recite the Quran, recite Dhikrillah, make dua, give us give a speech about, you know, harm and dhulm and all that. But it has to have some dhikrillah too. Ladies and gentlemen. Okay. This uh, brings an end to our week next week no holidays nothing monday we should be on inshallah ta'ala let's look at the calendar monday we enter the last week of safar and we enter rabi al-awwal on saturday inshallah estimated and that means hey Ali, could you help me arrange readings right after let's say maghrib for 25 minutes in the masjid short reading from any book and a short dhikr, 20 minutes after every month, because I can't make it to the masjid every day. Okay. All right, so that's next Saturday, not this Saturday, next Saturday. All right, Jazakumullah khair, brothers and sisters. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wa asr inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-lazina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.